Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Nearly two years ago, hundreds of maritime salvage experts launched a dangerous effort to clear a shipwreck from the waters of St. Simon Sound. The Golden Ray cargo ship had been carrying more than 4,000 vehicles when it capsized on its way out to sea from the port of Brunswick. It's been stuck there ever since, and tens of thousands of gallons of fuel remain on board. The already massive and massively complex recovery operation just got a lot more complicated. A few days ago, flames engulfed the wreckage as crews were dismantling parts of the vessel for removal. Obviously, there was a good lessons learned here on what can happen, and we certainly are going to be making changes for future cutting operations. The wreck has captivated the attention of local residents, as well as activists on the lookout for environmental damage. Making regular visits to the Golden Ray salvaging operation has been Larry Hobbs, a reporter for the Brunswick News. He joins me now for an inside look at what exactly is going on at the shipwreck and what's next. This is Georgia Today. I'm Steve Fennessy. When we talked last fall, would anyone, including you, have imagined that we'd be, you know, coming in on June of 2021 and this thing is still there, or at least half of it? I'd love to tell you I'm surprised. There's not a reference point for this. Nobody around here has seen anything like it. It is a one-of-a-kind undertaking, especially given the confines of where they're doing this. The water currents that come in and and out of there, two swift in-and-out tides a day. The closeness of the two islands right there, the fact that there's a shipping channel right there, and just that this is so massive. You covered every twist and turn of this dramatic saga, I understand, since all of this occurred. It's tough for those of us who are not living down there or seeing it every day to visualize what's going on. Can you paint a picture for us? What is the scale of this cleanup? How many people are working to try to get rid of this thing? It involves thousands of people from out of town. It involves the Unified Command. Unified Command oversees the salvage operation. It's the United States Coast Guard representing the federal, Georgia Department of Natural Resources representing the state, and the Gallagher Marine Systems, which is a private company specializing in in these matters. There used to be a 656 feet of half-submerged shipwreck between two resort islands that a lot of your listeners have probably visited, Jekyll Island to the south and St. Simons Island to the north. It's on a sandbar just off the shipping channel to the port of Brunswick. And these things come through that little channel between the two islands with regularity, going to the port of Brunswick, dropping off and picking up vehicles by the thousands. Larry, the Coast Guard and the National Transportation Safety Board held these hearings last fall, exploring potential reasons for why this all happened. Have they issued a ruling yet? And if not, when can we expect that? Um, There's a a probable cause It's pretty definitive, and this is not official. It was top-heavy, which essentially means it's cargo. There was too much cargo above, and there wasn't enough ballast below. There's a calculation for this, actually, that uh, 
every ship's first mate on a ship like this, on a, what they call a row-row for roll-on, roll-off vehicles, vehicles roll off in one port and roll-on in another, has a, a handheld device that calculates the distribution of the cargo to make sure it's an, it's an even distribution. The first mate on the Golden Ray said uh, he got it right. At the hearings last October, the U.S. Coast Guard's uh, naval architect from Washington, D.C., begged to differ. That it just it simply wasn't right. It was top heavy. Is it possible that they could bring out a bunch of tugboats and move it out? Trying to tow it off of there was was quickly uh, eliminated as an option, and they decided to take chains and use the chains to cut each piece of this ship, solid steel with twelve interior solid steel decks, plus thousands of vehicles. It's uh, each link is. 18 inches long, three inches around, and weighs 80 pounds. Each link. Right. The plan is to cut this thing up into eight pieces. Four have been removed. They ran these chains underneath the sunken port side and draped them over the exposed starboard side. They're basically moving it back and forth, and the, the friction and on metal on metal is causing this to, to tear away? It, it, it more accurately tears through the steel, shears through the steel, then and cuts it. And there are divers underneath uh, making sure everything is connected. They can only work during slack tide because there's some very swift tides coming in and out of the uh, St. Simon Sound. Understanding the water and what happens to oil in it is crucial. This area has really big tidal changes, powerful currents, strong winds. Anything that ends up in the water can travel far fast. So the chains that are, that are cutting the ship into eight pieces, they're attached themselves to cranes. And this crane is, I've seen pictures, it's sort of draped over the entire carcass of that ship. Tell me a little bit more about that device. That thing's insane. Are you talking about the, are you talking about the VB-10,000? I'm talking about the VB-10,000, Larry. Well, let's talk about the VB-10,000. Um, H.G. Wells, War of the Worlds. I mean, that's the first thing I think of when I see this thing. It is, you know, that big mechanical monster that he envisioned. Uh, it, this thing is, is gargantuan, huge. It's a vessel. It's 255 feet tall, arching. To give that some scope, our Sydney Lanier Bridge, which is one of the tallest uh, suspension bridges in the state, has a 186-foot clearance. The VB-10,000 could not clear that and get to the port here. What this thing does is it actually straddles the shipwreck, and they attach a pulley on either side of this chain and just rip it up and down, up and down, until it just starts working its way up through the shipwreck. I'm painting you a picture that, that we're not actually seeing because this has turned out to be a very slow process. The cutting continues on the fifth section of this boat. It's been going on for months and will continue through the summer. Maybe well beyond that date after this fire tore through the remains of the hole last Friday. When it's done cutting, it lifts the sections out of the water and places them on a barge before they ship these off to a recycling facility in Gibson, Louisiana, with the acronym of MARS, Modern American Recycling System. When this salvaging, when the actual cutting operation began last fall, what was the expectation about how long it would take to actually cut this thing up into the eight pieces and, and haul it away on ships? 
optimistic, I think would be fair to say. They were estimating that each cut was going to take about 24 hours of continuous cutting. Then the ship sections were going to be lifted and hauled away, and they were a week to 10 days for each, you know, maybe six weeks, two months. What did the reality bear out? Well, the first cut began November 6. The chain broke on November 7. They had several chain breaks and, and some other setbacks, including the threat of the hurricane that passed last November. But they didn't complete that cut for three weeks until November 28. That was the first cut. Are some sections harder to cut through than others? Most definitely, and by far the most difficult was the engine section. It was a section behind the stern. Mauricio Garrido is president of TNT Salvage, the company doing the cutting. It's a key component because I think that's the toughest section we have on our plate. The toughest, literally. It contains the engine room and lots of heavy steel. They've had to switch to a heavier cutting chain. It's also tough because they expect to sever a fuel line containing what oil remains on the ship. They had to keep a deadline with a barge that was the Julie B, which is supposed to be the longest barge in U.S. waters, coming up from Louisiana. When they realized what a tough time they were having with the engine section, they they basically did a calculated retreat. And they moved to the eastern end of the ship, which would be the fore section, and focused on cutting that with much more uh, satisfactory results. And so after that, they went back to the the engine cut that they sort of abandoned halfway through? Got the uh, VB-10,000 cutting on it beginning April 13, and finally completed it on April the 24th. As we sit here today, how much of the ship remains? About 300 feet. It doesn't even look like a ship anymore. I've referred to it as a scrap metal heap, but it's still a big, ugly piece of steel out there. One of the things that occurs to me as we talk about fuel and then we talk about trying to, to cut a ship, you know, in pieces using metal on metal, creating friction and heat, I have to think that there there is the potential there for an ignition. Is a fire a surprise for something like this? They had said last summer to, to expect fires. Potential for fires will remain as long as the wreck is out there. So we had a little bit of experience with it. Of course, a part of the removal process called for comprehensive fire suppression equipment. So it's it's an unfortunate circumstance of removing this ship. They say they knew removing the ship would be a learning process and they were prepared for a fire. However, that preparation doesn't mean they can stop it from happening again. There's also a fire hose on the VB-10,000. There is a sprinkler system that they have installed inside the ship along these cutting lines. Now, this wasn't the chain that caused the the really big fire. They had paused the chain, and they had these guys, rope access technicians. They were essentially rappelling down the hull, climbing into the cut groove with six-foot welding torches. They were trying to cut away around a support beam that they suspected was going to give the cutting chain itself trouble. And they've had enough of these break and have to be replaced because of wear. They they thought it was worth it to pause the chain and uh, move these uh, folks in there with these welded torches. One of them sparked a car. Now, this thing is wide open on either end, facing east to west, 
We had a real strong wind coming in off the ocean Friday. And when that first car got sparked, this is up at the front end of the ship, up at the east end of the ship, the wind just blew any car that was above the waterline, basically caught fire, according to Unified Command. Wow. And was a mess. And what did it look like? Did you see it? It's billowing black smoke, and then the flames came and sent. This all is taking place early Friday afternoon into the evening. Coast Guard and emergency services spent most of Friday locating and taming the fire out in the St. Simon Sound. Crews working on and around the ship evacuated safely and no one was hurt. So what does this mean for the, the cuts that remain? To what degree is this salvaging operation delayed yet again? They're trying to assess, but the damage that I've heard so far is not major. But what it did to the structure of what remains of the ship is also an open question. They've got engineers out there right now to see, can they continue with their plan to cut this in sections like they had planned? Stay with us as we look at how crews are racing to remove more of the Golden Ray as hurricane season approaches, and what all of this could mean for the environment. This is Georgia Today. I'm Steve Fennessy. If you like hearing the news from around the state here on Georgia Today, you'll probably like hearing how Georgia's agriculture economy feeds the country and the world on a fork in the road. I'm David Zelski, and on the Fork in the Road podcast, we feature stories from Georgia's farmers, fishermen, merchants, artisans, chefs, and others who help provide Georgia-grown products to folks in the Peach State and beyond. Find it online at gpb.org slash podcast or download it on your favorite podcast platform. This is Georgia Today. I'm Steve Fennessy. I'm joined by Larry Hobbs from the Brunswick News. Larry, advocates have been sounding the alarm about potential damage from this Golden Ray cleanup to the fragile coastal ecosystem there. Here's what Susan Inman with Altamaha Riverkeeper told WSB-TV. There still are about 40,000 gallons of fuel on board plus cars. So there is a steady leak of your old weathered fuel that is constantly moving in and out. Is there an estimate now on when this thing will be gone? I, I would love to give you one. They started out with some high hopes. And, you know, I'm getting emails from some people saying, How, this is a travesty. And I was like, let's hear your plan. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a small town reporter and this thing dumped right in my backyard. And uh, every day is a crash course. My dad was engineer in the family. I'm just... It is really mind-boggling. Are there any estimates on how much this is going to cost? $788 million and counting for the owner and its insurer, which is north of England, but it's now in a pool of maritime insurers. And so what's sort of left now? We have this... You know, half of the ship, of the, the original length of the ship is there, and now there was a fire that sort of swept through it. What does it look like now? Um, not much different, except that a lot of the paint is gone. It literally bowled the paint off of it. it every, every car that remained in there uh, that was above the waterline, so half of that, a thousand at least, caught fire, kind of like lava, and then... A lot of plastic pieces, they just melted, disfigured, fell into the water. Massive amounts of this uh, plastic is now washing up on our shore. 
some of this stuff looks like, uh, I, I don't know if kids do this anymore, but when I was a kid, you know, we'd take our, our toy plastic soldiers and melt them. It's burnt black and all these different kinds of shapes of things that they took when they hit the cool water after melting. We've covered the golden rays since it overturned off the coast of St. Simons Island. Crews have found, as you might imagine, pieces of plastic, even a car bumper. Plastic bumpers, plastic fenders, license plates, uh, a lot of plastic parts are turning up on the beaches. We're coming up on June, and that means hurricane season. What does that mean for the dismantling of what remains of this ship? The military's involved in this, the Coast Guard. They don't do anything without a plan. I can tell you what it will be. It will be big. It will be complex and it will be multi-layered, just like every single facet of this operation has been from the start. Timeline is uh, not a thing that we really focus on anymore. Sue Inman is the local river keeper. Even before the fire, her main concern was the potential pollution pouring from the site. How long will it take this area to recover? That's hard to say. We may not know the impact of that for a few years. When this ship capsized, it had a whole mess of fuel. How much fuel remains on the ship and, and what happens when you've got this massive chain that's cutting presumably through fuel lines? There's, there's been some problems with that. And um, their best guesstimate was there were 380,000 gallons of fuel on the ship. And this doesn't include, you know, every single one of the 4,200 vehicles on board had all its vehicle fluids plus a few gallons of gas and oil. They did what they call a lightering process. Basically, they brought barges out there that with big tankered barges, and they pumped. During the, the last months of 2019, they pumped an estimated 327,000 gallons of fuel out of there. They have gone on the assumption that the balance is what remains in there, which is you know more than 40,000 gallons. There have been some big spills during these cuts, but they have a team of environmental cleanup people. One is on the water at all times. They have oil booms, which uh, sort of corral oil floats, luckily, uh, that sort of corral the, the fuel. Back near the ship, commanders point to a massive environmental barrier they've constructed to keep any debris and contaminants contained. Besides the work on sites right here, unified command teams are walking the shorelines along the Georgia coast here, trying to minimize the environmental impact. They say that is work that will continue even after this is all gone. You know, you think about oil spills in Alaska and how we see pictures of, you know, Arctic terns covered in oil. Has there been anything like that here? Now, there have been some uh, birds found not so much at this stage, but in earlier stages uh, that were old. Some of these birds were dead, but some of the, but they're just found inside the, the perimeters of what they call the salvage site. And they can't tell, not all of these birds were old. So it's not certain if, you know, if all pollution has killed them. Larry, this ship has been a fixture on the horizon there for the last almost 20 months now. Is there, I mean... <laughs> Is there a part of you or part any part of the residents that you talk to that they're almost going to be sad to see it go? Well, there's, you know, there's coffee cups and T-shirts with the Golden Ray on them. And I, I think some of the bars have come up with Golden Ray drinks, but everybody's ready to see this go. And I mean, these are people from up there in Atlanta, uh, down in Gainesville, Florida, places like this who've got relatives here and they come and stay. And 
they're sort of marking their visits by the progress that's made on the Golden Ray. And this is going on like what? Going on 18 months now. It's been quite a journey. I could see retired people setting up folding chairs just to watch this go. And I do see them them all out there. I've gotten to know a few of them. I know a lot of them anyway. We're a pretty close-knit community here. And uh, yeah, there there are Golden Ray groupies. How about that? They're just fascinated with this process. And, and who can blame them? We, we've got to remember, though, what this is doing to a very pristine environment. So far, there's there's no signs that there's major damage. But we've got to keep that in the back of our minds and remember that this is very serious for a very, very important natural habitat here alone, the East Coast, for, you know, not just for us, but for the entire nation. This is a very precious place. But, I mean, just looking over us, we saw a bald eagle. You see alligators, sea turtles. Osprey, all these beautiful birds that I don't that I, I swear I'm going to learn the name of one time, maybe when I retire. But it's just a, it's a precious resource down here. I, you know, I just hope that holds. My thanks to Larry Hobbs from the Brunswick News. Crews are still assessing the damage from last week's fire. Coast Guard officials say it's unclear how much longer it could take to finally remove what's left of the Golden Ray from St. Simon Sound. For more Georgia Today. Go to gpb.org. I'm Steve Fennessy. Georgia Today is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. Subscribe to our show anywhere you get podcasts. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple. Jess Mador and Jahi Whitehead are Georgia Today's producers. Our engineer is Jesse Neiswanger. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.